Podcast, episode 144, the one-year anniversary episode. It was one year ago today that I made the questionable, perhaps, decision to don uh, this robe and begin reciting from Buddhist scriptures into a video camera um, or or phone, as the case may be, um, and uh, eventually turned it into a podcast, and there you have it. So um, for today, for today's episode, <clears throat> rather than what we've been reading so far, which has been uh, pre-sectarian early Buddhism or early Theravada, the Tipitaka, the Tripitaka, the three baskets of the original teachings of Lord Buddha, we're going to switch the dial all the way over to... Zen. Now, you see, got the rock here. Um, so this actually here is an artistic depiction of uh, Ehe Dogen. Probably not pronouncing pretty much anything, not even English correctly. So, uh, sorry. Um, so Dogen, gosh, well, just real quick, briefly, briefly. Um, I had a teacher um, back when I was in my 20s and 30s. Uh, his name was Gordon. Uh, he probably would object to my calling him a teacher or showing you his picture, but he passed away uh, about seven, seven or eight years ago now. Uh, but when he was young, he went to San Francisco and uh, Shunryu Suzuki, the Roshi there in San Francisco had a Zen center, and uh, he taught my old teacher, Gordon, how to sit, just like that. Um, and uh, yeah, Gordon, Gordon had a, a lot of fondness for Buddhism, Zen Buddhism in particular, Japanese Zen. And uh, my mom, whose birthday was yesterday, December 4th, um, she had a love for the aesthetics of Japanese Zen, the rock gardens, and and this kind of thing, and I think a fondness for what she knew of the uh, the way of Zen. Um, now, as you probably know, I've mentioned it many times. Uh, my dad was more fond of Tibetan Tantric Buddhism. Um, so, anyhow, uh, there was a period I went through in 2011 where I read Shobogenzo, Dogen's uh, Shobogenzo, basically. To cut short, uh, well, Dogen wasn't really happy with the forms of Buddhism that existed in Japan as he was growing up, and so he went to China. Um, now, this was the 1200s, so back then 
in Japan, they thought of China as where civilization comes from. And they thought of India as the Western heavens where spirituality comes from. So uh, you've probably longtime viewers know about the uh, uh, Shanzan, the monk who went from China to India, uh, Nalanda University in India, and came back to China with the Mahayana Sutras in the 600s. So this was in the 1200s. Um, after Buddhism was kind of becoming less popular in India for a variety of reasons I won't get into. But uh, so it was more prominent in China at that time. And Chan, which later became known as Zen in Japan, uh, started to kind of take root around the seven eight hundreds, and it had developed into a more recognizable form of Zen. Um, by the 1200s. And so when Dogen set out on his journey, some visual aid here, that's from the movie Zen, came out in 2009. Um, and he found, uh, eventually, he, he went from one monastery to another, and he would describe some of them as being useless bags of skin dressed as monks. I fully would accept the, the judgment if someone calls me a useless bag of skin dressed as a monk. That's, yeah, that's about what I am, um, I would say, uh, perhaps by his standards. But uh, he eventually found a teacher he found worthy in a Soto Chan temple in China. And uh, yes, you're seeing some nice footage of that. And so there he, he received the face-to-face -face transmission from uh, one of the patriarchs of Zen, whose name is slipping my mind right now. And uh, then eventually, after a few years there, he attained the marrow, uh, if you will, uh, which we'll get to that in a moment. But he um, reached a certain, a certain stage where his, his teacher, his guru, his, uh, his master, his, you know, uh, the one who was guiding him, gave him the certificate and, you know, said, okay, you are, can now go back to Japan and begin you know, teaching as an authority, other monks in this tradition. And so his way of pronouncing Chan, which by the way, was the Chinese word for dhyana, which means basically meditation. In ancient yoga, um, there were the eight limbs of yoga and the positions that, you know, when people think of yoga, they think of warrior two and, you know, all these different yoga positions, but that's just one of the eight limbs. Uh, the the seventh of the eight limbs was dhyana, which is meditation. It gets translated into English as meditation, but things like guided meditation or meditation where you, you know, think about things or meditating on something isn't really the same as dhyana. Dhyana is much more uh, where the thoughts cease, uh, which it's a long and, and uh, arduous journey to get to that point. Um, some people sit and after five minutes they're like, I can't make my mind go quiet. So I give up, I give up meditation. But my teacher Gordon would always say, no, just observe your thoughts the same way that you observe the ambient sounds outside. We weren't near a river, we were near a street. So just like here, um, experience and observe the sounds of the cars. Experience and observe your own thoughts, let them pass. If you struggle to stop them, then you're creating a big thought to try to stop all the little thoughts and you're just kind of getting further and further away from meditation or 
Chan, or as it was pronounced by Dogen, Zen. So, yeah, so he, he went back to Japan and he founded the original Zen schools in Japan, uh, the lineage of which still exists today. And in fact, uh, at the beginning of this, you heard um, in the credits, I, I gave credit to him, but one of the great masters reciting Fukan Zazengi, the beginning, where he says, Fukan Zazengi, you remember, you were there. Anyhow, so uh, Dogen... When he first arrived in Japan, he wrote a document called Fukan Zazengi. Um, you're seeing that right now. It's a good movie worth checking out. In fact, I'll just point to it here. Um, not right now. After you're done with this, uh, this episode, you can check that out. And um, that's where these clips are coming from. Anyway, so that is just a couple of pages. And it's the universal recommendation of sitting meditation. That's what Fukan Zazengi means. So Zen, Dhyana. Zen means meditation. Uh, za means sitting. So Zafu is the cushion you sit on. It's the sitting, actually cattail. It's the stuff they used to put inside of the cushion. So you, you do Zazen on your Zafu, on your Zabutan. Well, you don't have to. You know, yogis would prefer rocks. But anyhow, um, Fukan Zazengi was probably more than half of the reason that I got into yoga to begin with. Because he very much recommended uh, sitting in full lotus position. Or half lotus, if you weren't quite flexible enough to do full lotus. But he said that the, the lotus position, the position, you know, that I'm not doing right now because I'm sitting in a chair. But uh, that position, he called the Buddha mind seal. That to, to sit in lotus position will bring you to that state of nirvana on its own. And uh, his emphasis, great deal of emphasis on meditation. Not so much on what I'm doing, although people did say that Dogen talked a lot, uh, but his teachings were all focusing toward this sitting meditation, and that was a, a large part of what the monks would do. Not so much with the chanting. They would chant the Heart Sutra. They would chant Fukan Zazengi, and maybe one or two other things sometimes, but there wasn't so much emphasis on music or chanting or, or this kind of thing, um, though they were supposed to be knowledgeable and learn. Uh, but the emphasis was on the hours of seated meditation, you know, in, in, in the uh, following in the example of Lord Buddha, who sat under the Bodhi tree for so many years. So um, later, so 1227 was when he wrote Fukan Zazengi. And then later, once uh, he had the blessing of the emperor, I think, in the 1240s, he started building monasteries. And he would go spend time in each of these Zen monasteries, these new monasteries. And he would give lectures, and there would be a scribe writing down everything he said. And these writings were collected, and they became known as the Shobogenzo, which, uh, if I recall correctly, means treasury of the eye of the true dharma. And uh, these days you can find them in four volumes because he talked a lot, like I said, he had a lot to say. Um, and these are some of my favorite books. In fact, the last time I read these books was a few years ago. And I had a notebook in which I made notes whenever he mentioned a great master of history or whenever he mentioned a sutra or whenever he mentioned any 
person in history, Nagarjuna, you know, uh, people like that. I would write it down, and then I would go search for a book. And those books ended up being the beginning of that shelf uh, that I arranged in order by century, and I was determined that one day I was going to read the whole thing. And then one day, uh, about a year ago, in fact, exactly a year ago, I decided that the best way to make sure that I read all of it would be to just start at the beginning and record myself reading it, to share my experience of reading all of these books with whoever wants to listen now or in the future. Maybe after I'm gone, who knows? Hello from the other side, for those of you in the distant future. So anyway, um, yeah, we will get to the reading of Fukan Zazengi after we celebrate, um, you know, with a segment of flashbacks. I just received this book today. I think it was this morning it, it arrived. Um, so this is, uh, the, the reviews were a little mixed. There were some people that were saying, you know, Dogen's teachings could not possibly be put in layman's terms or summarized and made understandable. And it was a valiant attempt by this author to try to do that, but it just can't be done and blah, blah, blah. But then there were other reviews that said this is an extremely well-researched picture of the time and place in which Dogen existed, the way the world was at that time, his personal biography, and the world around him in the, the 1200s in Japan and in China. And, uh, you know, well done. You know, this is, this is a great, you know. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm sold. So I haven't read this yet, but I am looking forward to reading it. Also, a few people I posted yesterday um, saying that I was going to be recording this today. And I, I opened with a quote from Dogen, and you've, you heard me mention about the useless bags of skin. Sometimes he, you know, I wouldn't say he had a temper, but, you know, he was very critical at times. Um, and so the quote that I chose, I mean, in part because you've, you've the longtime listeners know that it irritated me in uh, the Tibitaka when Lord Buddha was saying that, you know, a, a monk should never prostrate himself to a nun. Uh, even if she is has been a nun for a hundred years and he's only been a monk for a day, but that nuns should prostrate themselves to monks. I, I didn't like that. Um, I much prefer Dogen. It's a kind of a scary thought that I prefer in some cases uh, the advice of Dogen above that of Siddhartha Gautama. But um, you know, I'll have to meditate on that as they say. Um, but the quote that I posted yesterday, and some people thought it was just me talking, and they were saying, it's okay, Edward, it's okay, the world's with you. And I appreciate that people were trying to console me, but I, I was just quoting Dogen, uh, who said, stupid people who do not listen to the Buddha's Dharma think, quote, I am a senior monk. I cannot prostrate myself to a junior monk who has got the Dharma. Uh, end quote, or, uh, quote, I sign my name with the title of master. I cannot prostrate myself to someone who does not have the title of master, end quote. I cannot prostrate myself to lesser monks, even if they have got the Dharma. Or, I am the chief administrator of monks. I cannot prostrate myself to lay women and laymen who have got the Dharma, end quote. Or, I am a bodhisattva of the three clever stages and the ten sacred stages. I cannot prostrate myself to nuns 
or other women, even if they have got the Dharma. And quote, stupid people like these have heedlessly fled their father's kingdom and are wandering on the roads of foreign lands. Therefore, they neither see nor hear the Buddha's truth. So his point being that if you hear the Buddha's truth coming out of the mouth of a child, of a woman, of someone who's not ordained, of someone of a, you know untouchable caste or whatever the equivalent is in your society of someone that you just definitely shouldn't listen to, uh, then then definitely don't prostrate yourself to them. In other words, don't honor what they're saying. Don't you know? He was saying if somebody has the Dharma, if somebody is tapped into the truth and they're sharing it with others, then you should prepare a seed for them. You should prepare food and drink for them. You should bow. You should be respectful to them, whoever they are, if they're ordained or not, if they're male or female, if they're a child or an old man. And uh, yeah, so he felt very strongly about that, clearly. And uh, I, I agree. I resonate with what he's saying there. So, okay. If you are here for the recital of the Fukan Zazengi, then skip ahead to 49 minutes, 8 seconds. And, uh, and that then you'll hear the recital. Uh, for the rest of you, if you're here to celebrate with me the one-year anniversary of the first episode of the Buddhist Books podcast, then uh, let's do it. We're going to take a little stroll through memory lane, starting with episode one. I'm going to date this as if it came before the first episode of Buddhist Books. But the reality is I've recorded uh, one, two, six, 21, 28 episodes of Buddhist Books already. Hello and welcome to this new series. Episode one. Uh, my name is Edward Reeb and I'm... Uh, talking to you here from Goa, India. And as you saw in that opening shot, I have a lot of uh, books on Buddhism, at least that one full shelf. And it kind of uh, starts on the left side with the early stuff. No one can purify another. Let no one ignore his duty to his self for the sake of another's needs. However great that need may be, Know what is good for yourself, and then give yourself completely to achieving that good. Follow the path of the sacred truth of virtue. Follow not that of sin. Life is hard for the one who is molest. I'm just reading what's on the page. Uh, depending on how I correct that typo, would determine the meaning of the sentence. Let's read on. Maybe it'll start to clarify itself in context. He seeks purity, is quiet, and, oh, excuse me, <laughs> modest. <laughs> I'll just start that sentence over. Take delight in your awareness. 
Yeah. That's that's a standalone line right there. It says P.U. Yay. Do you want to stay here while I do the prayer? Okay. <laughs> I'll come in in a minute. Uh, this is going to be in the playlist after Dhammapada 6, before Lotus Sutra 1. My wife Priyal and I just shifted from Goa, India, to Delhi, India. So, very different weather, uh, different, you know, uh, population density. So you might hear more than a few uh, motorbikes and uh, other sounds outside. It's also not... Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. What, O Manjushri, is the cause? What is the reason of this wonderful, prodigious, miraculous shine. I, having I, too, am looking forward to what the Buddha will say at this very, 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 very built-up, uh, you know, sermon. Okay, this is getting interesting. Within the flashback, within Manjushri's telling about the Lotus Sutra having been proclaimed by a former Buddha named... Khandra Surya Pradipa, that Buddha is now speaking. But our Buddha, the one we know and love, you know, uh, hasn't spoken yet. But at least, I mean, this is something. disciples, arhats, or pradyeka buddhas, who do not hear they're actually being called to the Buddha vehicle by the Tathagata, who do not perceive nor heed it, those, Shariputra, should not be acknowledged as disciples. It was Akshobhya. Akshobhya had the lapis lazuli. Remember, I was searching for my lapis lazuli. I'm, I'm not trying to make this about... The Bluetooth device is ready to Wow, that's obnoxious. Okay. In the, in the Japanese version, too. Uh, sawaha. That's the how the Hanya Shingyo ends. Sawaha. That's a reference to the wife of fire. Cool, right? Is there anything better in this world than Keanu Reeves playing Lord Buddha? This whole skillful means and different things for different people can get out of hand, though. I mean, some of the scandals that go go on in some of the uh, modern forms of Vajrayana. This explanation actually is refreshing because I've, I've heard this story uh, told to me, but never the breaking down of which cart is which. It's morning, and Priel is still asleep in the next room, which means I'm going to be speaking much more quietly.
the lotus, because uh, it's the Lotus Sutra. And uh, we've got Avalokiteshvara. We did 16 parts of the Lotus Sutra, and I couldn't. I just couldn't anymore. Um, I, I missed, I missed the, uh, the Pali Sutras. Incidentally, just in case you're curious, you know, I try not to make this all about me, but since that happened because I'm a big egomaniac, um, at some unknown date, probably around the end of Ashok's reign, around uh, 235 BC or BCE, the importance of Sanskrit, which had been in eclipse, began to rise again. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Macrocosm, for these, this wonderful tantric Buddhist music, uh, musical accompaniment to our, our meditations. And on the back it says, this is public domain, so it's okay for us to do this. <laughs> Basically, just uh, I think I told half of this story, but I didn't finish it, and I'll be, I'll be quick so we can get to the reading. Um, Available all around the world, except for Russia and China, you need a VPN. Anyway. <clears throat> the schools of Banakas also had their own views about the history of early Buddhism. Uh, I'm, I'm holding a magnifying glass for those of you who, ooh, that kind of looks cool. See, we've got Tonka within a Tonka. Foot dans la haute, laus la station. I know I've read this before. I'm just starting at the beginning of the quote. La plume. Here's a, a nice little image. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they were upset. They were upset. And uh, as you can see, that's Mahabodhi, the temple that marks the spot where Buddha actually sat under the Bodhi tree. So, uh, thank you, baby. This is Priyal. You want to show? Show? Come? This is Priyal? Okay, thank you. She's my wife. And in the spirit of nonviolence, here is a clip of Priyal shooting her grandfather's gun. She really enjoyed that. You guys will never guess what happened today. My poly scriptures arrived. by annihilation of disbelief. One's spiritual energy increases. Welcome back. Wasn't that nice? Uh, thank you to uh, whoever that was. Uh, um, we are currently in Andaman Islands, which is basically India's Hawaii, in more ways than one. Leave. Why don't you ask the Dalai Lama why he eats meat? And as you can imagine, after about a half an hour of that, it got old. That's coming out. That's Bollywood today. I'll let you fill in the rest and end 
this poem. Now, in that episode, uh, you remember I had said, Oh, oh my God, guys, we're going to finish this, uh, this chapter on this sutra today. To me, welcome back to my office. To you, welcome back to sound quality. E.T. Mangala. Hey, it's different. This purification is possible only by a continuous process of introspection. I mean, like America has any room to talk about human rights violations or being on the right side of history, Mr. Poster Boy of the right side of history over there, right? Uh, no rule or vow can be pure as long as an aspirant carries the resolve of any of the aforementioned darts or salyas in his heart. The vow of a person who is under delusion is contained. <laughs> con Come on in. Have a look. Don't be shy. Come on. It's all right. Whoa, what's happening? Oh, <clears throat> okay. Is that annoying, that little corner here? Normally I have the camera slightly tilted so that you only see. Anyway, I won't. now it's annoying now that I pointed it out, isn't it? Maybe I'll go ahead and... <clears throat> uh, but first, let's say a little prayer for Netflix. Um... They're not doing too well. They're talking as if with some authority, like, yeah, it's pronounced Katastava. You know, Kathava. It says here, Manasa, Vayasa, Kayasa. But he was saying, Manasi Enum, Vasi Enum. A lot of Enum going on. Not saying anything. Just He says a little prayer. Let, let there be no lust in my heart, O Lord, as I do this gross, disgusting, carnal activity. Salutations to those who have conquered fear and who are venerable, omniscient beings. The 24th Tirtankara, Mahavir. If a blind man gains vision, can you imagine his joy? I can see. I, I, I am not blind anymore. Oh, I know what it means to see. Yeah, basically just like that. Uh, this, Brahman, is a way in which one speaking truly of me could say, the recluse Gautama is without the quality of taste, but surely you did not mean that. End quote. He said... picked this one up when I was in Shanghai. Did, did you guys see that? I'd like to welcome our special guest, Baby Buddha. Isn't he cute? See? I have a brother. He ought to be supported by me. I have a sister. She ought to be supported by me. Hey, Akshobhya, do the trick. Nice. Yeah, uh, it's just going to switch the dial on over it to Vajrayana. So here we have a rock. That is a rock. Oh, <laughs> sorry, went a little too far. Here we so you got the 
Tibetan flags and the uh, mountains. Cool stuff. Cheers. So if he claims the field, it's wrong. If he gaslights the field keeper, then it's so wrong. And if the field keeper is like, oh, I guess you're right, and lets you have the field, you're defeated. Continuing right where we left off. By the way, um, I'd like to welcome our special guest, White Tara, Yeshi Dawa, which actually means wisdom full moon. But the whole universe in ten directions is the brightness of the self. The Polytext Society. Thank you, thank you, Polytext Society. But not if you do exactly the same thing, but in a really weird way involving a monkey or involving some other, you know, situation. He lands in the southwest corner of coastal India, what is today Kerala. Yes, and it happened exactly like that, because uh, Luke, of course, had his camera at the time. That's why they called him Cool Hand Luke before it was tragically cut off by Darth Vader. Um, anyway, uh, here's a little clip. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. They have opted to replace any word or phrase that has been mentioned at least once previously in the scriptures with three dots. It's extremely annoying, but you'll get used to it, I think. Moreover, his body was burning in flames and ablaze, and he was uttering a cry of distress, dots, quote, dots, quote, monks. Dan packed his things, including this statue, and boarded the USS President Coolidge, which you can see here in some rough waters. Whatever monk, affected by desire, with perverted heart, should come into physical contact with a woman. That as a memento of our trip to Kerala, I got this little guy. Okay, well, I'll just uh, keep that over there then. Uh, is it true, as they say, Udayan, that you acted as a go-between for a temporary wife? It is true, Lord, he said. Manikanta, the Naga king, Naga Kanya, the, uh, the Naga queen. A uh, special thanks to our, our guest, Amoga Sidi. You've met him uh, once or twice before in this series. If you... Whoa, how did I do that? I don't know. Where Padma Sambhava goes, so does Yeshiko. So why don't we just keep her there? And no doubt, at some point in the 1600s, walked up to that temple and said, What the heck is it, Iger? Or words to that effect. Schisms. Don't do them. Don't do it. It's naughty. No sex. No stealing. No killing, which includes killing yourself. I understood correctly, and no pretending to be more enlightened than you are. Which brings me to our special guest. Um, this is undetermined. He aims at ejaculating, makes the effort to ejaculate, and black and yellow semen and semen the color of ghee is emitted. The muggles 
Some of you might be like, the what? You, the, the non-magicians in Harry Potter? No, no, the muggles were uh, the emperors that ruled India for, oh, I don't know, 600 years or so? Uh, while the name of the Buddha was Ratnasambhava. Well, all right. By the way, we're over here, not over there. We're in Vajrayana uh, for the moment. We'll get back to that and we'll get to the Rima from uh, about eight or 900 years ago. I don't know exactly when. Um, when did the Mongols rule China? I don't know. I just work here. Before we get started, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Shunya. Shunyata. No guest. Let them be silent. And then I, I heard it started raining outside, so I thought this might be nice. The lighting is a little different from yesterday. Episode 100. Uh, special thanks to our, our special guest for today. Say hello, would you? Your Majesty. In the house of a certain monastery attendant, there is a golden chaplet. Beautiful, good to look upon, charming. There is no golden chaplet like it in the women's quarters of your majesty. Welcome to our special guest, we call him White Tiger, and uh, today, happy International Cat's Day. He's a pig pretending to be a frog, made by people in Shanghai pretending to be Korean. I think it's cute. Never mind. There's different versions of that joke. So one of them's about a Scotsman. There's an American version that's about a Southerner. Okay, as opposed to new school Theravadan Buddhism, which does exist. It's sort of like the difference between, like, you know, the church in Constantine's day versus the Greek Orthodox Church today. A little bit different, at least a little bit, right? And would they memorize the whole book? I mean, look at David Koresh. David Koresh wasn't possible before Martin Luther. Honored sir, the master is beautiful. Good to look upon. Charming. I am also beautiful. Good to look upon. Charming. Ooh, and modest, too. Well, that sounds reasonable. Sounds like, I mean, one of those things that's probably at least partially motivated by wanting to maintain the Order's reputation. Real quick, let's just... Ooh, oh, oh! Bet you didn't know, realize that those travel with me. They're not attached to my desk in New Delhi. I would like to... Ah, see? There's New Delhi saying hi. 
Um, I would like to welcome our special guest, Sai Baba of Shirdi. Shirdi. Why have you come? To study with you. If you guys are watching this, and that's why you're not getting back to me, please get back to me. But if you're not watching this, then you won't see this. That's a catch 22. Uh, welcome to our special guest, Akshobhya of the Mirror Like Wisdom. We've met him before. Once among the countless eras that have gone by, our special guest today, a guy. Now, you might be asking yourself, why did Edward just uh, refer to a cow as a guy? I'd like to welcome our special guest for today, the goddess Durga. A little bit of a ecumenical exchange program thing happening. Um, Tara went to the uh, Hindu temple next door and uh, Durga came here. I'd like to welcome our special guest for today, Yeshi Tsogyul. Once upon a time, about 1,300 years ago, there was a Tibetan princess. I'd like to welcome our special guest, Sarasvati. Sarasvati is a very ancient Hindu goddess of knowledge, wisdom, music, art, and learning. Ta-da! It arrived today, I think, just today. Um, the Flower Ornament Scripture, a translation of Avatamsaka Sutra. By and by placing them in the center of a mandala, all will have fulfillment. End quote. One monk indulged in bad habits. The second monk said to this monk, quote, Your reverence, do not do that. So you can ask for molasses mixed with honey and curd from your seventh cousin. That's fine. Special thanks to Upananda, the naked ascetic and the female wanderer or a female departed one, or with a eunuch, or with an animal in woman's form, there is an offensive wrongdoing. So furries, lesser offense. Um, I'd like to welcome our special guest. Uh, he's a small monk. He's uh, very into, into his practice uh, at the present time. So, uh, Jambala is said to be a form of Chenrezig or Avalokiteshvara and uh, from the family of Ratnasambhava, also known as the Jewel family. If he sports with a boat, there is an offensive wrongdoing or a wave runner or bombardier. It's not a jet ski. Jet skis are made by Kawasaki. You stand up, it has the thing that goes up. Those are wave runners, bombardiers, and sea news. Get it right, everyone. Sorry. Unrelated. <laughs> the group of six monks frightens the group of 17 monks. 
These, being frightened, cried out. Ah! Monks spoke thus, quote, russet and sort of a deep olive green or deep green and yellow and white. Um, they'll avoid using these bright primary colors on the outside of the temple, but as soon as you walk inside the temple, then that's where you find these, uh, the red, blue, green, and yellow. So would tend to think of that as pretentious when you're speaking and when you use one of the words that were imported into English from other languages and you pronounce it with the accent of that other language, it's sort of like cringy, actually. Uh, remember Udayin? Normally he's in trouble for sexual harassment and other similar offenses, but now he's murdering birds. Our special guests today, a little unusual, a little bit of a uh, ecumenical exchange program happening. Um, Lakshmi and Ganesh. Our numbers, by the way, came from India. I don't know if you know that. Um, they refer to them as Arabic numerals because there was an Arabic mathematician who preferred using India's numbers. One, two, three. You know them. That is a very light punishment as compared to the punishment, say, for the same crime uh, in what is now become known as the Roman Catholic Church during medieval times, which was, of course, um, her father was none too pleased with this. So he went to the place where she and her lover, uh, you know, her partner, he could kind of make a Romeo and Juliet thing. Netflix, call me. The princess of hmm? Hmm? Um, Important note here. Uh, in old-timey English, to give someone a blow meant to punch them. Not what it means today. You know, and then I went to Bhutan also, right around this time. There's some video footage of my trip to Bhutan. And I felt like I was like, you know, beautiful, beautiful, like the heart of the heart of what was sacred to me. I was thinking about, it's kind of a misnomer to say that we're, that we're, specifically reading Theravadan Buddhism because the uh, the Tipitaka or the Tripitaka, the three baskets of original the original teachings of Lord Buddha, are foundational to Mahayana and to Vajrayana. Sword. Uh, he has is it a flaming sword? Well anyway, it's a sword of wisdom. My old friends from a different egregore will go, hmm? Sort of wisdom, you say? Even the uh, the writings of pre-sectarian early Buddhism traditionally were not meant to be shared outside of the Sangha of monks. So, Kali Yuga is a small-scale uh, replica of the temple in Bodh Gaya, Bihar, India, which they say marks the spot where Lord Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree. Cotton means there are three parentheses kinds of, close parentheses, cotton. Oh, we're actually gonna learn something today. I hope that you are quite pure in this matter. And a second time I ask, I hope that you are quite pure 
in this matter? Oh, oh, that's today. <laughs> okay, so we're back to present time. This is this is me now. This is the anniversary episode of uh, of that first episode. Um, the one that you might have noticed was called episode two because I later, when I made it a podcast, I recorded an episode one to go before that, which is why this is episode one forty four. Right? So it all makes sense. Um, okay, so let us get to today's reading. First, cue the duder. Oh, sorry, they're they're. I don't I don't know if they're German or if they're they're Swedish or something. But the German pronunciation of EU makes it Deuter. Deuter, as EU in German is Oi. And yes, that includes the. Uh, the head god, the leader god of Olympus, Zeus. Zeus. No, Shaggy. It's Zeus. There's no K in it. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. Fukan Zazengi of Ehe Dogen. The way is basically perfect and all pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice? and realization. The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need is there for concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there to practice? And yet, if there is the slightest discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. If the least like or distress arises, the mind is lost in confusion. Suppose one gains pride of understanding and inflates one's own enlightenment, glimpsing the wisdom that runs through all things, attaining the way and clarifying the mind, raising an aspiration to escalate the very sky. One is making the initial partial excursions about the frontiers, but is still somewhat deficient in the vital way of total emancipation. Need I mention the Buddha, who was possessed of inborn knowledge, the influence of his six years of upright sitting is noticeable still, or Bodhidharma's transmission of the mind seal, the fame of his nine years of wall sitting is celebrated to this day. Since this was the case with the saints of old, how can we today dispense with negotiation of the way? You should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words 
following after speech and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. For Zazen, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Cast aside all involvements and cease all affairs. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros and cons. Cease all the movements of the conscious mind, the gauging of all thought and views. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. Zazen has nothing whatsoever to do with sitting or lying down. At the site of your regular sitting, spread out thick matting and place a cushion above it. Sit either in the full lotus or half lotus position. In the full lotus position, you first place your right foot on your left thigh and your left foot on your right thigh. In the half lotus, you simply press your left foot against your right thigh. You should have your robes and belt loosely bound and arranged in order. Then place your right hand on your left leg and your left palm facing upward on your right palm, thumbs touching. Thus, sit upright in correct bodily posture, neither inclining to the left nor to the right, neither leaning forward nor backward. Be sure your ears are on a plane with your shoulders and your nose in line with your navel. Place your tongue against the roof of your mouth with teeth and lips both shut. Your eyes should always remain open and you should breathe gently through your nose. Once you have adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale. Rock your body right and left and settle in to a steady, immovable sitting position. Think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. This in itself is the essential art of Zazen. The Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. 
the practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment. It is the manifestation of ultimate reality. Traps and snares can never reach it. Once its heart is grasped, you are like a dragon gaining the water, like a tiger taking to the mountains. For you must know that just there in Zazen, the right Dharma is manifesting itself and that from the first dullness and distraction are struck aside. When you arise from sitting, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately. Do not rise suddenly or abruptly. In surveying the past, we find that transcendence of both unenlightenment and enlightenment and dying while either sitting or standing have all depended entirely on the strength of Zazen. In addition, the bringing about of enlightenment by the opportunity provided by a finger, a banner, a needle, or a mallet and the effecting of realization with the aid of a hosu, a fist, a staff, or a shout cannot be fully understood by discriminative thinking. Indeed, it cannot be fully known by the practicing or realizing of supernatural powers either. It must be deportment beyond hearing and seeing. Is it not a principle that is prior to knowledge and perceptions? This being the case, intelligence or lack of it does not matter. Between the dull and the sharp-witted, there is no distinction. If you concentrate your effort single-mindedly, that in itself is negotiating the way. Practice realization is naturally undefiled. Going forward in practice is a matter of everydayness. In general, this world and other worlds as well, both in India and China, equally hold the Buddha seal, and over all, prevails the character of this school, which is simply devotion to sitting. Total engagement in immovable sitting. Although it is said that there are as many minds as there are persons, still, they all negotiate the way solely in Zazen. Why leave behind the seat that exists in your home and go aimlessly off to the dusty realms of other lands? If you make one misstep, you go astray from the way directly before you.
zu Kansas Enki. Hmm. Well, I, I did, I admit, um, leave the, the home of my father and go to distant lands, being here in India. But on the other hand, I come from a, a paternal lineage of people who did the same. My father's father having spent most of his life in China. But anyhow, and his father's father having left Germany for Kentucky. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. I, I uh, would only say that if... Um, if you practice with a, a guru of yogic lineage and he tells you to look at the tip of your nose or to close your eyes, do that. If he tells you to use a mudra on your knees, do that by all means. Um, these instructions are specifically for a certain, what you could say is a certain type of meditation. Um, you can try it as he recommends with the the thumbs just like this with the eyes open, looking directly forward at a blank wall, preferably, or downward at an angle at a point on the ground. I heard it explained both ways within Zen schools. Um, before you try to force yourself into lotus position, I mean, if you, like I did, get inspired by words like this to sit in meditation in the lotus position, don't force it. You'll hurt your knees. That will do permanent damage. Um, like I said, this uh, motivated me to begin practicing yoga so that down the road, eventually, I could uh, uh, do lotus position. One thing I can recommend is this particular practice, uh, which I did daily, um, for several months uh, before I was able to do lotus position. You can see here on the screen, those of you listening, I would recommend uh, checking out the YouTube version of this. And you can see a woman being directed to... Um, this. So this is warm-ups for lotus position specifically. So if you can't get your foot all the way flat against your chest, then just bring it up partway. And then the next day, bring it up partway, and then maybe a little further, and then the next day, a little further. And do that for a month and a half minimum before trying to sit in lotus position. And if when you're sitting in lotus position, one of your knees isn't quite touching the ground, don't, don't meditate for any period of time. Um, you can put a cushion underneath your knee at that point. The, the, the zafu, the cushion, helps. It makes it easier to sit in lotus position. And the, the cushion on top of the zabutan, the zafu and zabutan I've got over here, you, you, you saw in the flashback. Well, no, you didn't see, but I was sitting on it in the one where I was sitting. Anyway, um, that helps. Uh, eventually, you'll reach a state of flexibility where you can sit in lotus position on flat stone and reach a state of, uh, of meditation. But the Zafu Zabutan kind of makes it like you're floating on a cloud. So that's a nice thing to have if you have the means, you know, to get a cushion or two. If, uh, if you're able to pick this up where you are and have, you know, extra money in the bank account to do so, I recommend it. If not, I will put in the comments links to places where you can find this particular translation of Shobogenzo for free on an electronic copy in PDF. You can download it onto your phone or your computer and you can read all of these words um there there's a couple of uh chapters where he goes into the robe he goes into it in such depth that i must and, and, and for a long time and i must admit it's a little bit boring 
But on the other hand, it's the very thing that inspired me to put this on, even though I have not been formally ordained. Um, he tells a story at one point of a prostitute who puts on a nun's robe as a joke and how that plants the seed which results in her enlightenment two or three lifetimes later. So with that in mind is, is how in, in, in the spirit in which I'm wearing it as, as a prostitute who's wearing a monk's robe. Not as a joke, but, uh, you know, wanting to intentionally plant a seed for my own path in the future. Um, so was there anything else? Um, the opening shot at the beginning was, uh, was at the Huntington, the Japanese garden at the Huntington in uh, Pasadena um, and wearing a, a shirt that has the, the train station stop for Harajuku in Tokyo, um, which is sort of funny if you're from Tokyo to see the, the train station sign on a shirt. Um, but that's what that is. And uh, that was after my trip to Japan back in 2015, where here you can see me sitting in uh, lotus position in uh, doing Zazen in Nanzenji in um, Kyoto, one of the oldest uh, Zen monasteries that was established shortly after Master Dogen. I think it was from the 1270s or something like that, where he was mostly founding them in the 1240s. And he was running up against, you know, people from other, other forms of Buddhism who would do nice things like burn down his monasteries and stuff like that because of competition for who, who gets the blessing from the emperor and, you know, very Buddhist, very enlightened things like that. Um, so he, he had a lot of, uh, Run-ins like that. Again, that movie that I pointed to earlier, Zen 2009, you can find it with English subtitles, uh, goes into the life story of Dogen. It's a good movie. I saw it years ago, but I uh, thought it would be appropriate to use clips from it today. Um, is there anything else? I think that was everything that I wanted to do for today's episode to celebrate the uh, one-year anniversary of uh, Edward Reed's Buddhist Books podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And um, special thanks to our special guest, a rock. And uh, special thanks to you for going on this ride with me. Special thanks to uh, the neighborhood for providing the, the ambient um, sounds. It's a little more challenging finding a, a state of um, perfect meditation and bliss when, you, when you're in a place like New Delhi. But... Um, it can be done. And just because you're in a place like New Delhi doesn't mean you should give up the, uh, the way, the path. You can still, you know, uh, walking with, with lead weights on your feet, you get even stronger, right, than walking without lead weights. Well, meditating in New Delhi is like walking with lead weights, where I could go to the Himalayas a few miles north of here. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get back there one of these days. Cheers! Today, we've got green tea instead of coffee in honor of uh, the theme of today's episode. I'll go ahead and close with the usual prayer that my dad and I used to perform at the end of our Tibetan Tantric Buddhist meditation. A little different from Zazen meditation, but what can you do? Celebrate the diversity, right? <laughs> to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, 
to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below. We send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time.